In 2013, Warner Brothers Studios released the smash hit horror film The Conjuring, to the delight of scary movie fans all across the globe. Critically acclaimed and cashing in over $319 million worldwide, The Conjuring paved the way for an entire universe of slow-burning horror flicks based on the careers of Ed and Lorraine Warren, two real-life world-renowned paranormal investigators who claim to have examined over 10,000 cases. Ed Warren, who passed away in 2006, was a World War II veteran and former policeman turned self-professed demonologist, while his wife Lorraine, who passed away in 2019, was a clairvoyant and medium capable of communicating with demons. Together in 1952, they founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, the oldest ghost hunting group in the region. The couple had many notable cases throughout the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, including the haunted Raggedy Ann doll, Annabelle, who became an inspiration for the Annabelle series of films, which are part of the overarching Conjuring universe. And of course, the Amateurville hauntings, which are largely credited as having kick-started the couple's career. If you'd like to know more about the world's most famous ghost-hunting couple, then we did a full-featured documentary on them, which you can view on our Patreon by clicking the link in the description below, or in the comment section. However, the peculiar case of the Perrin family is perhaps one of Ed and Lorraine's least discussed cases, despite how creepy and bizarre it is. It also serves as the basis for the first Conjuring film. It all began in January of 1971, when the Perrin family moved into a 14-room farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island. The sprawling property was once known as the Arnold Estate. Built in 1736, it boasted 200 acres of land. The beautiful home certainly had an interesting and creepy history, but this was not disclosed to the family when they bought it. According to the eldest child, Andrea, the only warning of the house's other inhabitants came from the previous owner, who told them eerily not to turn off the lights at night. Carolyn and Roger Perrin and their five daughters recalled feeling uneasy upon first setting foot in the home, just like something was off. The children also remembered how the building had an overwhelming feeling of sadness. Still, the family settled in and almost immediately began to notice strange things happening in their home. It started small, as usual, and seemed harmless enough. The broom in the kitchen would sometimes go missing, while other objects would move from place to place. The family reported hearing sounds of something scraping against the kettle when there was nobody in the kitchen and small piles of dirt would appear in the middle of a newly cleaned kitchen floor. Although all this was odd, nobody in the Perrin family was immediately alarmed. That said, the children, all sisters, who were incredibly close to one another, began to get suspicious. Clothing would be misplaced, toys would be shoved underneath the beds, and it wasn't long before they started blaming one another for things going missing, picking fights and tossing accusations back and forth. It was at this point that the children began to witness strange figures in the home, spirits that appeared to have no malicious intentions towards the family. In fact, they reportedly began to act as playmates and babysitters of the young girls, and the children overall enjoyed their company. It became part of the family's everyday life that they would, on occasion, witness or feel the presence of a spirit or two. Most notably was a young boy who roamed the hallways, possibly the same boy who was said to befriend the youngest child, April. 
Another frequent visitor the family had was a man with his son and dog, all three of whom appeared at the top of the stairs and who stared at the wall as if looking out of a window. None of the trio ever made eye contact or spoke with the family. In one particularly bizarre instance, Carolyn Perrin once entered the dining room to find two men sitting at the table. One of the men looked at her, then caught the attention of his companion before pointing at her, almost as if she was the anomaly. The oldest child, Andrea, who is the most outspoken member of the family to this day, recalled seeing a woman roaming around whom she felt was the spitting image of herself. The woman was older, but wore 17th century clothing. This prompted Andrea to later consider the ideas of the existence of reincarnation and multiple dimensions. For a time, the family lived in harmony with the spirits residing in the home, but soon things began to grow dark and difficult on the Arnold estate. The children suddenly became subject to attacks from invisible enemies with their hair and legs being pulled at, and the younger girls began to go to Andrea in the middle of the night, upset by the ghosts who were tormenting them. Cindy in particular, who was eight at the time, was repeatedly harassed by a disembodied voice that told her that there were seven dead soldiers buried in the walls. But the terror didn't stop there. Smells of rotting flesh began lingering in the house, waking the entire family at 5.15 a.m. each morning while beds were known to rise from the floor. Although the parents tried to avoid going down to the dirt-floored basement, the heating would frequently and mysteriously go out, leaving them with no choice but to go down there. Roger was the only one who did, but reported sensing a cold, stinking presence behind him whenever he did. In one especially disturbing incident, when the children were playing hide-and-seek, one of the sisters, Cindy, climbed into a box in the woodshed to hide but she couldn't get back out. She screamed, but nobody heard her, though she was thankfully soon found by another sibling. This event traumatized the girl, although cannot necessarily be linked to the paranormal. Terrified and confused by what the family was enduring, Carolyn took it upon herself to dig into the history of the centuries-old building. What she uncovered was dark and tragic. The home had been in the same family for eight generations, and many of the members had died in mysterious or dreadful circumstances. One family member took their own life by poisoning, while two more did so by hanging. Two children reportedly died in the nearby creek, while four men also died on the property after freezing to death. Another child is known to have been murdered by a farmhand, but her death certificate shows that she was killed in Massachusetts, not on the property in Rhode Island. Despite that, there was still plenty of reason for the building to be haunted. Although The Conjuring tells the story differently, the Warrens were actually contacted by a friend of the Perrin family and agreed to come and have a look at the home. When the couple met the family, Carolyn told them a story that made the Warrens connect their haunting with the spirit of a woman who used to reside in the house. Carolyn explained how at one point, when she'd been lying on the sofa, she'd felt a sharp, piercing pain in her calf. Her leg muscles began to spasm, and when she looked, she saw that there was a pool of blood by her calf. The injury was described by Andrea as a perfect, concentric circle, and as if a large sewing needle had impaled her skin. It was unclear what exactly had caused the injury, 
but the warren suspected it was the work of a woman named Bathsheba. Bathsheba Sherman lived on the estate in the 1800s. Born Bathsheba Thayer in 1812, she went on to marry a man named Judson Sherman in Connecticut in 1844. She lived an ordinary life as a housewife, and at 37 years old gave birth to the couple's first child, a son named Herbert. It is unknown whether or not she went on to have more children. Many reports claim that Bathsheba had three more, who died before the age of four, while other reports claim they passed away before the age of seven. Apparently they were named Julia, Edward, and George. However, while there is an unofficial record of their existence, there is nothing in the census from that. It's been theorized that the children died before the next census. Bathsheba spent time caring for and babysitting other local children. However, her life took a turn when a baby died in her care. Reportedly, the child died when a large sewing needle, possibly a knitting needle, impaled the base of the baby's skull. Although she was charged with the child's demise, Bathsheba was found innocent by a court due to a lack of evidence. The public continued to suspect her, however, and rumors swirled of her involvement with Satanism. Many people claimed that she'd sacrificed the infant in the name of the devil. According to local legend, Bathsheba eventually hanged herself in a tree in front of the house. However, this appears to be factually incorrect. There are also reports that she suffered from a strange paralysis that puzzled and frightened local doctors. Although her true cause of death is unknown, it's believed Bathsheba passed away from natural causes or a stroke in 1895 her husband had died four years prior. Bathsheba lived long enough to see her only son, a farmer, get married, and she was buried in a cemetery in downtown Harrisville, where her gravestone remains to this day. Back to the Warrens, they claimed that Bathsheba was the main ghost haunting the family. Her angry spirit was supposedly intent on torturing the parents in an effort to evict them. It's also believed that the spectre was particularly upset with Carolyn, the family matriarch because Bathsheba perceived herself to be the house mistress and resented the competition. One night, while standing over the couple's bed, the ghost apparently screamed, get out, get out, I'll drive you out with death and gloom. In the Conjuring film, the events of the film culminate in an exorcism, which ultimately frees the family and allows them to live happily ever after. But as with many films, in real life, things were much different. The Warrens eventually organized a seance to try and contact the spirits in the house, but it turned into something incredibly dark when Carolyn became possessed. She was apparently speaking in tongues and rising from the ground in a chair. Andrea secretly witnessed the whole thing, and she later said of the event, I thought I was going to pass out. My mother began to speak in a different language, not to this world, in a voice not her own. Her chair levitated and she was thrown across the room. Andrea later added that the night of the seance was the most terrifying night. After a gathering, Roger kicked the Warrens out of the family home, fearing for his wife's mental health and overall well-being. In this case, it seemed that the paranormal investigators made things worse, not better, despite their numerous visits and attempts to help. Many believe this was through angering the spirits. Although that was the end of the story for the Warrens, it was not the end for the Perrin family who remained in the house for a total of 10 years. 
Due to financial difficulties, they were unable to move out until 1980, at which point the hauntings had started to die down. In 2011, Andrea wrote a book about the family's story and self-published it, named House of Darkness, House of Light, which comes in multiple volumes. According to some reports, the girls left home as soon as they finished high school, but a later interview with Andrea, who left home at 21, claims that's not the case, and that the house always feels like home. Andrea, as we said, is by far the most vocal of the sisters. Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April do not appear to publicly discuss the case much, if ever, and keep many aspects of what they experienced themselves. There was reportedly one ghost in particular that the sisters never talked about with the public, although it's unclear why. Of the encounters she shared with her family, Andrea said, there's a specific explanation, we just haven't found it yet. Lorraine Warren acted as a consultant on the set of The Conjuring, while the Perrin family put their full support behind the movie. Although it's a mixture of truth and fiction, many elements originally in the film were scaled back at the request of the family and Lorraine to make it more realistic and more in line with the true events. Andrea called it a beautiful tapestry. Since 1980, the home has changed hands several times. Norma Sutcliffe and her partner Jerry, who owned the house from 1987, mentioned that the door would bang in the front hall, and that they would hear the sounds of people talking in another room, and also that footsteps would sound before a door mysteriously opened. The only thing they ever saw was a blue light shooting across the room once. The couple maintained that they were skeptics for a long time, and later attempted to disprove the Perrin family claims about the haunting. In 2019, another couple bought the home, Corey and Jennifer Heinzen. They had been very open about their experiences with the haunted house, with Corey stating he had a hard time staying there by himself. I don't have the feeling of anything evil, but it's very busy. You can tell there's lots of things going on. They've also reported hearing sounds of knocking, footsteps, and disembodied voices, and have witnessed doors opening by themselves. They've spoken of their grand plans for the building, saying they want to repair and preserve it, and perhaps open up the home for paranormal tours or shooting documentaries. Although the Perrin family finally escaped the spirits after an entire decade of terror, nobody can ever forget what happened in their house. In Andrea's case, there's a tinge of fondness for the spectres, especially those that played with the sisters as children. But for other members of the family, it's painful to talk about, and the memories will stay with them, haunting them forever.